Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Time now for Fantasy Football Weekly from iHeartRadio, your weekly source for the nation's best fantasy speculation and advice. Now, along with the guys from Fanball.com, here's the host for Fantasy Football Weekly, Paul Charchian. It is finally fantasy football season. Welcome to Fantasy Football Weekly. It is year 25, a quarter century of shenanigans, bad takes, dubious opinions, <laughs> and a whole lot of ointment. I am Paul Jarchian. Two of my longtime co-hosts have been there for many of those 25 years, Brian Johnson and Christian Peterson. Hello, guys. Good to be here, Charch. What's up, Charch? Let's do this thing. Let's do it. Uh, if you are new to the show, we really hit our stride in the regular season when we break down all the NFL matchups, fantasy style, and now in August, it's all about helping you dominate your draft, or your auction, and really just adding fun to the world's best pastime, fantasy football. Today, we will get you up to speed on all the notable offseason moves. We'll highlight the training camp battles you need to follow. We'll answer some of the toughest questions out there and roll through our Dynasty and Empire rookie rankings as well. Guys, uh, I want to start with some uh, some newer news. And that's reports out of Dallas, including coming directly from Jerry Jones, that the Ezekiel Elliott holdout could extend into the regular season. At this stage, it's still early, but what is your level of panic and what are you recommending for people who are drafting now? Uh, the level of panic was high a week ago. It's even higher now, um, mm-hmm. especially now that Jerry Jones has realized you don't need a league-leading rusher to win the Super Bowl, or so he says, even though the last time the mm-hmm. Cowboys won the Super Bowl, they had a, a league-leading <laughs> rusher. But um, League-leading rusher and Emmitt Smith, yes. Uh, they, they, they have some able bodies there in Dallas. They're, they're no Zeke Elliott, but... Uh, Tony Pollard, the rookie they drafted in the fourth round out of Memphis, has three uh, three down potential. And, you know, in this day and age, it's a passing league more so than a running league. And uh, they say this holdout could last months, and I believe it. 
Yeah, if you're if you're drafting right now in a best ball league or something, I I don't know how you take Zeke in the top five. You know, his his ADP is a top three, top four overall kind of guy. And with with this mm-hmm. news, it just it doesn't sound good. I don't I don't know when I would take him, Brian. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Would you take him like late first at this point? Would that be worth the risk? Yeah, at this point, he might be falling behind the Joe Mixons and Dalvin right. Cooks of the world that are much more secure in their <laughs> their job at this point. So, yep. yeah, this is a uh, there's major cause for concern here uh, for Zeke owners and uh, clearly behind Kamara, McCaffrey, Barkley for me at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got. I'm. I, I will take the contrary position that says it's too early to panic here. Uh, the the season is still over a month away. That's a lot of time for a lot of pressure on both sides of this. And there's a temptation to say, well, look at Le'Veon Bell. If Le'Veon Bell did it, anybody can do it. Let's remember this. Le'Veon Bell wasn't under contract. Zeke is. That's a big difference. That's $40,000 a day in fines. Um, It's a year of service lost. He's got a lot more to lose here. And I'm not ready to say yet that the Le'Veon Bell example is going to be what happens most of the time. So I, I've moved Zeke down to number four on my cheat sheet, but I'm not moving him down into that next tier of running backs yet. It, I just feel like there's too many things that can happen and, and that really Zeke doesn't have all the same kind of leverage that Le'Veon Bell does. Church, what we'll about find out how this one goes down. What about Melvin Gordon? Are you worried about him yet? Um, in some ways I'm more worried about Melvin Gordon to, to be honest. Um, the um the situation there is a is a little bit different in that I think they've got more capable and regular backups that have proven themselves able to to power that uh, that yep. offense. Um, but, but Gordon's situation is what worries me is he said no to a ten million flat no to a ten to twelve million dollar offer per year. That's great running back money, and if that's not enough, I'm I'm nervous about what will be enough. Now the hope is that ten to twelve means that they're already closer than we know. But there doesn't seem to be anything coming there, and um, and I've moved Gordon down pretty precipitously. Right now, he's running back eleven on my on my cheat sheet. So I've I've got I've got a fair amount of of of, of, of consternation over over Melvin Gordon, but still thinking in in the long run, both guys week one, I do expect both guys will be suiting up for their teams. That's not stopping people who own both running backs from hitting the bottle heavily tonight because uh, this is some bad news for no, those who own both Zeke no, and Gordon. I will see, Charge. We'll see. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, an, I'm in an empire league where I've got I've got two running backs on my roster and one of them is Zeke, and I'm, I'm sweating right now. I'll tell you that much. Just hope that it turns out this way. Let's move. This is our first show of this season. Let's recap some of the key offseason moves from last offseason for anybody who's snoozing in the offseason that you know you're not following every single move in a granular level and now here it is regular season and you want to get up to speed on all the notable changes that have happened the key guys that have got a new home let's attack this on a per position basis starting at the quarterback position guys all right, well, uh, we're actually lucky that the Zeke news broke. Otherwise, we'd be kicking the show off with news of, uh, well, sort of news, but we'd be talking Nick Foles, Nick Foles. to kick off the 2019 football <laughs> season. But thankfully, he's, he's the, the, the following act. So, uh, But Nick Foles uh, has gone from Philly to Jacksonville. Uh, really only viable in super flex or two quarterback leagues. You're not going to be drafting Nick Foles in uh, standard one quarterback leagues. Uh, AFC South teams, Houston, Indy, and Tennessee combined to allow less than one and a half passing touchdowns per game. That's the bulk of the schedule for the Jaguars. Vegas set 
Bulls um, season total for touchdowns at 19 and a half. That's just gross if that's your over-under. Oh, so that's, that's brutal. So that's that's about enough for Nick Foles. Who's else we got, CB? Yeah, probably is <laughs> about enough for Nick. You know, you know, he's going to be, you watch, Nick Foles is going to be one of those waiver wire bye week quarterbacks that's never on a roster until the bye weeks roll around, and then somebody's got to replace their starter and, you know, that'll be, I think that'll be it for Nick Foles. Yeah, hopefully our next guy will just flat out never be on rosters. This is Joe Flacco, now of the Broncos. <laughs> Man, we thought we were finally done with Joe Flacco last year in week 11 when yeah. he gave up his starting job to Lamar Jackson, but now somehow, some way, still has a starting job. It looks like he's going to be a starter in week one in Denver. Feels like he's just keeping a seat warm for rookie Drew Locke, but Locke did not look very good in the Hall of Fame game last night, and he's behind Kevin Hogan on the depth chart. So it could be more Joe Flacco this year for the Broncos than anybody really wants to see. But really nothing to see here from a fantasy perspective. Flacco has never finished higher than the QB 12 from a fantasy perspective in his career, and that was many, many years ago. In the recent past, it's yeah. more like, you know, QB 25, 26. Just nothing to see here. Even even in two quarterback or flex leagues. Well, let's keep no, up with the... Those uh, days of, of Joe Flacco, like, launching those long touchdown passes. Yeah. Man, those were a long time ago, weren't they? That's, <laughs> you know, he's... You know, there's no... I don't think there's a, there's a lot to like there, unfortunately. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just going to say we're going to stick with the theme of fantasy irrelevance, unfortunately, for a fantasy show and talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen, the dynamic whoa, duo whoa, whoa. of quarterbacks whoa, in Miami. Whoa, whoa. I know. Okay. Well, I shouldn't have done that in the first show. I've uh, I've besmirched Stu Beard. I apologize, Charlie. <laughs> yes, you have. Ryan for Fitzpatrick, those that don't know, fantasy relevant. Okay. Well, he no, will I, be. You know, you know, I, look, I'm a, I'm a Fitzpatrick apologist, grade A, and especially from a fantasy standpoint, because the I don't I don't care about the four interception games. I love the four touchdown games that he just slings the ball unconscious downfield, doesn't care what happens. I love that kind of aggression. And you look at remember how good he was to those first three or four games of last year. He was fantasy football's highest scoring quarterback through three weeks. He can get it done from time to time, and maybe even in Miami. Yeah, those games are really easy to peg. Those four touchdown games for Fitzpatrick. Well, there's no, there's no Mike Evans <laughs> and uh, Chris Godwin, Deshaun Jackson, who was on Tampa Bay last year on Miami. Uh, the receiving right. core uh, <laughs> far inferior to that of Tampa Bay. But Fitzpatrick should get the start uh, come week one. But you'd like to think, or they would like to see Josh Rosen take over there. But again, this is really a super flex two quarterback conversation or a cheap DFS play option come week one. We'll talk some more Stu Beard then. Last quarterback Already here. Looking let's, forward to it. <laughs> let's uh, glaze over this one as quickly as we possibly can. Case Keenum moves from the Broncos to the Redskins Oof. this year, where he too, just like Joe Flacco, who's now in Denver, is holding the, just holding the seat warm until a, a rookie quarterback can take over. Dwayne Haskins actually may be in the running to take over as soon as Week One, but right now Keenum is number one on the on that depth chart. But again, nothing to see here from a fantasy perspective. It's a bad offense. There's nobody to throw to. Paul Richardson is their protect. Uh, projected number one wide receiver you've got Josh Do- Josh Doxson Trey Quinn uh, just nothing to see here for the Redskins in general and certainly for Keenum I'm I'm more anticipating seeing what Dwayne Haskins can do if and when he takes over that starting job and it doesn't help that Trent Williams their all-star left tackle is right. threatening to hold out into the season as well and that's uh that would be a a massive loss if they're not able to come to terms with him and he may he may be fed up with this organization in a way that Kirk Cousins was. It's very possible. So let me ask you guys that Washington, 
If I were to give you Washington or Miami for the lowest scoring offense in the NFL, which would you take? Man. <laughs> Can we take Coin both? flip? Yeah, both. <laughs> and neither? None of the above? I always said if you were going to remove yeah. one team from fantasy football this season and no one would miss a player, it would be Washington. Yeah, so I'm going to go agree. with Washington by a, a, a hair yep. over Miami. Yeah, it's it it, it it if it's not those two, I don't you know, it's somebody that's gonna suffer like a, a quarterback injury. I mean it's, I think it's those two teams in a runaway. Let's go to the running back position. Who's got a new face in a new place? All right, we got some big names here finally. We'll start with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, everyone knows is with the Jets mm-hmm. now. Bell last played football some 550 days ago. Uh, personally, that makes me very nervous. Um, kind of puts... Uh, now Zeke's in this nervous territory with me and Le'Veon Bell, actually, where I'm liking Joe Mixon hmm. and Dalvin Cook over guys like this yeah. personally. Um, the Jets were top 12 in rush attempts last season, but bottom three in receptions. Um, you know, Bell has made his hay catching the ball throughout his career. Those numbers should go up in that offense. Sam Darnold's second year. It's just the extended absence makes me nervous, and really only time will tell uh, if Le'Veon Bell will recapture, you know, the, the glory days of old, which have become old nearly two years ago. So uh, we, time will tell. We shall see. Yeah, he says he's good for 500, uh, 500 touches this year. And, you know, when that Jets offense, they probably wouldn't mind doing that. And, and opportunity counts for a lot. But, you know, he's also not running behind a Steelers level offensive line. And he doesn't have Ben Roethlisberger to, and Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster to distract defenses either. So it doesn't seem like we're going to get nearly as the level of productivity that we had when he was in Pittsburgh. Although his ADP is is trending to the first round. So you know, we'll have to we'll we'll see. There are people that that definitely are backing Le- the old Le'Veon Bell now that he's in New York. Yeah, he's, Who else he, do we have at, that, at the running back position? B- Bell has gone to Twitter to publicly lobby for fantasy owners to yes. to take him. Yes, not a, a savvy and move. to apologize for last year. <laughs> That's right. And by the way, Bell has nothing to apologize for. He told everybody he was going to hold out. You know, he was like, you know, this thing. You know, he he never he was he was the guy who was playing the hardball card from uh, from the beginning, and fantasy owners just didn't want to believe it could happen. I I heard he ran the conditioning twi- test twice too. Uh, he's just trying too hard at this yeah. point to, to prove that he's ready. So I'm a little nervous. Overcompensating. Yeah. All right, let's move to the next guy on the list. It's Mark Ingram, who moves from New Orleans to Baltimore, where he will be a bell cow for the first time in many years, maybe in his career. Of course, in New Orleans, he had to split time with Alvin Kamara, uh, specifically in the receiving game. But Ingram has shown in the past that he can catch the ball and again, there is just almost no competition whatsoever in this Baltimore backfield. Those, there's Gus Edwards, uh, who kind of flamed out yeah. last year when given an opportunity. There's Kenneth Dixon, who hasn't done anything in the three or four uh, years that he's been in the league. There is a rookie, Justice Hill, who I think has some upside and could potentially could be a pass yeah. catcher. Uh, but this is a good opportunity for Mark Ingram, and he's a he's a pretty a pretty nice value play right now in terms of average draft position. Just the twenty first running back taken, forty second overall. So you can get a guy in the fourth round who looks to be a bell cow. Uh, you know he's being taken just ahead of guys like Philip Lindsay, Sony Michelle, Kenyon Drake. Uh, and behind Josh Jacobs and and, and Carry on Johnson, so uh, many of those guys have a lot more question marks than Ingram does in terms of his role uh, in Baltimore. So I kind of like Ingram as a as a little bit of a value play if you if you skip running back in the first couple of rounds. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. I think these I think he's going to be one of those guys that you you begrudgingly take in the fifth round, and then lo and behold, he's a guy that you're happy to have in your lineup every week. Yep. 
Let's go to our next uh, our next uh, running back with a new face, new place. Well, old face. I mean, you don't really change your face when you change cities. <laughs> well, he's still pretty typically. Young. He's still pretty young, though. I think he's only about twenty seven right, so years there's, old. There's room for facial change. Okay, right. All and right. That, and uh, that's Tevin Coleman we're speaking of. Another guy, uh, a great target if you're going to uh, avoid running back in the first uh, several rounds. Uh, some might call that doing the opposite, right, Church? But uh, mm-hmm. Coleman, a great uh, do the opposite back, reunites with Kyle Shanahan, who is his offensive coordinator in the Falcons uh, in San Francisco. Now is where Coleman is playing. Sort of a crowded backfield there with Matt Breda and Jarek McKinnon, but McKinnon already hurt. Uh, in danger of getting cut. And we all remember Breida was banged up every week last year. Constantly. So McKinnon yeah. is the odds-on favorite to be the lead back. And, uh, you know, Shanahan went out and got him for that reason. And remember when McKinnon, before he got hurt last year, he was going in like the third, fourth round of drafts because yep. everyone was so excited using the Shanahan offense. Uh, Coleman's not getting that kind of love, and he should be. He's going in the fifth, sixth round. So Coleman uh, getting undervalued on draft day, in my opinion, and he has true bell cow potential. If McKinnon and Breida go down, you're looking at a easily a top seven, eight running back if this offense goes off. Here's why I can't agree with you, and it's because Matt Breida's good. Matt Breida's really good. Um, when he, you know, I think when healthy, he runs harder than anything I've ever seen from Tevin Coleman, and I think at the end of the day, the best running back they've got is Breida, not Coleman. And yeah, am I worried that he's constantly hurt? Of course I am. Um, and I don't count on him to to stay upright for the whole season. But I'm I'm nervous that when ultimately they need and they want to win in San Francisco, they're going to play their best back. And I think that's going to be Matt Breida. We'll find out. Right, we'll That'll be a training camp battle to watch. We'll keep our yeah. eyes on that one, Charger. Uh, what else have we got at running back? Uh, yeah. let's, go, let's go to Jordan Howard, uh, picked up by the Eagles from the Bears in exchange for a sixth-round pick during the offseason. Now, this is a this is a case study for the foolishness of Twitter during training camp. If you go to Twitter right now <laughs> and search for Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, you will find half of the people on each side of this debate. Half of the people are saying Jordan Howard's taking all the all the looks with the number yeah. one offense. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna get eighteen to twenty touches. People are people are really sleeping on Jordan Howard. And the other half are saying Miles Sanders is easily the best running back in Eagles camp and blah blah blah. So uh, it's it's hard to kind of it's hard to kind of cut through uh some of that BS. But uh you know I think Howard is certainly going to be involved. Sanders is certainly going to be involved. My worry is that Sanders is capable of taking a lot of the handoffs, which back in Mm -hmm. Chicago, when Jordan Howard was sharing touches with Tariq Cohen, Cohen was much more of just taking the receptions. Uh, So Howard got 270 touches last year. He was the run. He was a top 20 running back, but I think there's more downside this year than there has been in the past, just because Sanders is a guy that can do it all. He is capable of doing it all. So I just think Jordan Howard's, uh, floor is much lower this year than it has been in past years. They're both being selected in the same round. I believe they're in the se- seventh round right now, according to ADP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard both in the seventh round. Uh, I would take Sanders personally just because I'm all, all about playing for the upside, even if it takes five or six weeks. Yeah, what we what we do know is Doug Peterson has tipped his hand repeatedly on on how he likes his running backs, and that's in a rotation. So I right. you know, I think we know what Doug Peterson's all about, and it's rotational runners, and I think that's what we're going to get again, guys. Any uh, any other running backs left? Yeah, one more worth noting: Latavius Murray uh, now with the Saints. Mark Ingram uh, just left 
for Baltimore, as CP mentioned earlier, uh, vacated 160 mm-hmm. touches from last year. But don't forget, Ingram missed four games because of suspension. Prior to last year, Ingram averaged well over 200 touches for the Saints. And uh, Murray, 200 touches, easily in sight for him. Saints running backs were third in rush attempts and fifth in receptions last year. Kamara is certainly the lead back right now, but Murray will see his fair care of uh, fair share of carries, especially near the goal line, one would think. Um, probably the most important handcuff in fantasy football. Who could... Uh, Fill a flex spot uh, in some weeks as well, too. Yeah, and I, the only other guy on my, on, on my list that I think is is somewhat <laughs> relevant here is uh, is Kareem Hunt, uh, who of course went from the Chiefs to the Browns. We know that he's sitting out the first eight games of the season with uh, with that uh, suspension, but it's going to be really fascinating to see how the Browns use him once he once he returns in Week Eight. They of course have Nick Chubb, uh, who everybody loves, and, and and I agree after after what he did last year as a rookie, but. I mean, Hunt uh, Hunt is one of the best running backs in the NFL. So when he comes back in week nine, uh, the Browns are absolutely going to use him. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens here as a fantasy owner in a, you know, just a typical redraft uh, season long league. I don't know that you can afford to sit on Kareem Hunt for eight weeks. You might be out of the running by then. Uh, but in dynasty leagues, he certainly is a little bit, uh, actually, a lot more intriguing uh, in a dynasty format for me. You know, I'll, uh, the part I like about Kareem Hunt is this: even if you do, even if you get to a point where you can't afford to sit on him and your team's losing, you can trade him to a contender and basically tell this tell this contending team, I'm going to give you arguably the, you know the one of the five best running backs in fantasy football and i think that's going to be pretty compelling he'll always be tradable i think kareem Hunt will always be tradable so you know if you absolutely have to drop him at some point and just you need that roster spot or you have to make a trade and you just can't afford to have a non-starter i think you're gonna be able to get something for kareem hunt and that's why i'm drafting him in a lot of leagues and i'm taking him around earlier than many others Guys, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the wide receivers that have moved in the offseason and who you actually need to care about in moments. All right, we have covered quarterbacks and running backs that have moved from team to team and the fantasy implications of those moves. Guys, let's break down wide receivers and tight ends. Brian Johnson, let's begin with you. Give us uh, give us your first wide receiver that is playing in a new home this year. Uh, it was somewhat big news when Odell Beckham was traded in the offseason to the Cleveland Browns. Um, yeah, so a new home in Cleveland, pairing with Baker Mayfield in what should be a very prolific offense. Really the only concern with Beckham is he has only played 16 games over the last two years. That's an average of eight uh, per season. So injuries are somewhat of a concern. But outside of that, uh, it's not enough to sway you from aggressively targeting Beckham on draft day. The upside is just incredibly massive. I cannot argue him being your top-ranked wide receiver, your third-ranked wide receiver. Uh, All signs are pointing towards a monster season for Beckham. That's all you have to say about that, really. Yeah. Yeah, my wide receiver, number one overall, Odell Beckham. Kind of the opposite situation here for Antonio Brown, who goes from the the mm-hmm. NFL's most prolific passing offense in Pittsburgh to Oakland, which was not quite as prolific. Last year, Steelers ranked first in passing attempts and fifth in total plays. The Raiders ranked 16th in pass attempts and 24th in plays last year. And of course, a pretty sizable mm-hmm. downgrade in quarterback play from Ben Roethlisberger to Derek Carr. But Antonio Brown is Antonio Brown. Six straight 100-catch seasons, scored double-digit touchdowns in four of the last six years. So certainly is still a very fantasy-relevant player, although the general public doesn't think he's going to be able to repeat last year's numbers. 
he finished as the number three wide receiver in most scoring systems last year. Right now, according to average draft position, he's the seventh wide receiver off the board, which that feels about right for me. We know he's still an elite talent and an elite player, but uh, the downgrade in situation makes sense to me. Did you see the pictures of his feet? No, well, thankfully. Don't, don't look no. at them. No, they, <laughs> oh, they're God. on Twitter. They, you know, he'll drop you in his... It'll <laughs> drop him in your rankings considerably if you see his feet. It's, it's, it's horrifying. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm moving him down to wide receiver 12. Right, he was already at wide receiver. And by the way, never look at a wide receiver's hands either. They've all been mutilated from catching balls for all for all those years <laughs> and stuff. It's always nasty. Don't look at, don't look at any of the digits on a, any wide receiver. That's the lesson learned here. Let's go to our, our third wide receiver with the new home. Who we got? Deshaun Jackson, sort of a new home, more of a homecoming sort in a sense, returns to Philadelphia to uh, join another prolific offense that really has no true standouts outside of Zach Ertz. Uh, but Jackson is a still a great deep threat, um, and which makes him a great best ball play because it's hard to peg when he's going to have these monster games. But when he does, if he's in your best ball lineup or on your best ball team, he'll be mm-hmm. put in your lineup. Uh, his 19-yard average depth of target last year led all receivers <laughs> with at least 70 targets. And on catchable balls, according to Sports Info Solutions, DJX uh, led the league in PPR points per target. And Jameis Winston was incredibly inaccurate last year. Carson Wentz is an upgrade over Winston, so uh, Jackson will be a viable wide receiver three in even standard formats, but he's great in best ball this year. All right, next Particularly best ball. You don't have to guess when those long passes are Mm -hmm. going to connect. And it's been a long time since he's had quality quarterbacking didn't have it for chunks of his time in Washington either. So it'll be fun to see what DJX can do there. Christian, who do we got next? Yeah, let's go to Devin Funches, who moves over to the Colts uh, from the Panthers. At this time last year, everybody was looking at Funches as a potential kind of breakout player after he had over 800 yards and eight touchdowns the year before. That did not come to fruition. Under 50 catches, less than 600 yards, and just four touchdowns in 2018. So kind of gets a gets a, a chance to start all over again here in a, in a prolific passing offense, catching passes from Andrew Luck, but... There are a lot of mouths to feed in Indy. Of course, he'll be behind T.Y. Hilton in the wide receiver pecking order. Indianapolis also has a couple of very good uh, tight ends and an intriguing rookie and wide receiver, Paris Campbell. So honestly, no guarantee that Funchess is any more than the uh, fourth Mm. or fifth option in this passing game. So not a lot to love here for Funchess. Couldn't be less interested. Yeah, Yeah, I, I mean, you could give me... 28 rounds before I'm going to consider Devin (laughs) Funches for my fantasy team. Uh, All right. Who do we have left? So John Brown probably makes the most lateral move, catching passes from Lamar Jackson, and now he'll be catching passes from Josh Allen in Buffalo. Um, (laughs) He does. For a guy guy who only runs vertically, by the way. Right. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Smokey Smokey Brown has shown flashes of brilliance in his career with Arizona and Baltimore at times, but injuries have always plagued him. But he's healthy now and reports out of campus. He's the most impressive player by far. But, uh, again, the quality of the targets he'll be fighting for with Zay Jones and Robert Foster – might not be all that great coming from Josh Allen, but this is a, a wide receiver battle we might talk about a little later in the show, so I will mm. concede to Christian now. Yeah, let's go to uh, Dante Moncrief, who uh, is the presumed replacement for Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh, came over on a two-year, $9 million contract, uh, has been running as the number two guy opposite Juju Smith-Schuster early on in training camp, so it looks like he's going to be the guy. Moncrief, a guy, again, who has burned fantasy owners basically throughout his career. Everybody has seemed to think he has all kinds of upside 
and we just haven't seen it. So uh, I don't know. Do we think he can do it now in Pittsburgh? Antonio Brown leaves behind 168 targets from last year. So somebody's going to have to pick those up in Pittsburgh and not a ton of, uh, not a ton of competition there. Second year guy, James Washington uh, and a rookie, to, a rookie to deal with there too. So uh, this will be interesting to watch in, in training camp, which we'll discuss a little bit later as well. All right. Any wide receivers left before we move to tight end? Uh, real quick, I'll mention Tyrell Will- Williams uh, on Oakland now, previously with the Chargers. He is a beast at 6'4", mostly underwhelmed with the Chargers. He was fighting for targets uh, in a very crowded offense. Uh, the offense in Oakland not as crowded, so Williams is the number two standing alongside Antonio Brown. So should see an improvement of numbers for him. All right. Do we have any – who are the tight ends that have moved that we actually I've- care about I've got, I got one. I got one guy in mind. All right, good. Maybe, Let's hear what you got. Maybe this is it. Jared Cook to the Saints from Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, coming, off ca- mm-hmm. ca- <laughs> coming off a career year last year. In fact, career highs in catches, yards, and touchdowns. Almost 70 catches, almost 900 yards, and six touchdowns. So very good season for Jared Cook. Signs on for two years with the Saints for $15 million. Now, the Saints, they really haven't had a relevant fantasy tight end since Jimmy Graham left in 2015, which is kind of interesting to me. The Saints just sort of, they kind of just sort of change their offense depending on what kind of skill set they have with their pass catchers. So it'll be interesting to see here if they actually focus back on the tight end again now that they have a quality player uh, like Jared Cook. I'll, I'll mention this one. Uh, Jesse James leaves uh, Pittsburgh, and I don't care that he went to Detroit, but I care a lot that Vance McDonald uh, has an opportunity to uh, get the lion's share of the tight end targets now without sharing them in Pittsburgh. And that mm-hmm. makes him an intriguing possibility as well. Guys, let's uh, let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk through the uh, AFC and NFC training camp battles and talk about the positional battles that fantasy players need to know about when we return. Thanks again for listening. It is Fantasy Football Weekly. I am Paul Charchi and my co-hosts, Brian Johnson and Christian Peterson. We just broke down all the offseason moves by position. Let's look at the training camp battles that are out there and the ones that fantasy players need to pay attention to. And by the way, I'll note this. Four weeks from now, when we're doing our last preseason show of Fantasy Football Weekly, we're going to come back to these exact same training camp battles and tell you who won each one of these. So we'll have resolution, or we believe we will, come early September, and we'll go. To, we'll talk through these same training camp battles then. Let's begin on the AFC side. And Christian Peterson, what's our first training camp battle? Yeah, let's start with the Baltimore Ravens wide receivers. Uh, really, all of them are kind of up for grabs here. They lost their last two wide out, or, or their top two wideouts from last year in John Brown and Michael Crabtree. Didn't replace them with much other than rookies. They did take they did take a couple of rookies within the first three rounds. The first one was Marquise Brown, a 5'10", 170-pound speedster who unfortunately is just getting back on the field now. He missed a lot of the offseason program recovering from a uh, from a foot injury, so it'll be interesting to see what he does in training camp. The other guy, Miles Boykin, is generating a ton of hype right now. He's a 6'4", 220-pound mm-hmm. physical specimen, ran a 4'4 at the Combine, and Baltimore beat writers have labeled him one of the most impressive players in Ravens camp in the early going. So right now, Boykin might have the inside track as kind of the number one wide receiver, but with only Willie Sneed and a bunch of other cast-off veterans to battle these guys out, I think both of these rookies are going to see significant playing time in Baltimore, but we'll see by the end of training camp. 
Yeah, we need Marquise Brown to get through that foot injury, get on the field, and prove that he's ready to go for week one. Right now, he's it's hard to draft either guy. We can also it would also help if we saw Lamar Jackson throw a little bit better. Let's go right. to the NFC side. Brian, give us a, your next training camp battle. Well, we discussed this earlier, but we'll touch on it again real quick. Uh, the Eagles' backfield situation, which primarily comes down to Miles Sanders versus Jordan Howard. Everyone expects Sanders to eventually uh, lead that team in touches. But the one thing I'll throw out there that we didn't talk about earlier is I've heard reports out of camp that Sanders might be a little more behind than people want him to be because he did miss OTAs. So it could be a slower start for him than people are expecting. And even and the real question is, though, are significant touches in Philadelphia significant in fantasy football because of the platoons Doug Peterson always runs out there? The last running backs that saw bell cow usage in Philly were LaShawn McCoy and before that Brian Westbrook. Uh, but those are Andy Reid's guys. He's long gone. So yeah, really, we'll see how this plays through in camp. Sanders looks like a special player, but how soon he gets that opportunity, only time will tell. All right, let's go to the AFC, back to the AFC side. Christian. Yeah, I'm going to go to Buffalo here where we have a mess at the running back position. We have the incumbent LaShawn McCoy, the undead corpse of LaShawn McCoy, versus the undead corpse of (laughs) Frank Gore, versus third down back TJ Yeldon, versus rookie Devin Singletary. This is an absolute mess right now. Of course, McCoy comes in seemingly as the incumbent, coming off the worst season of his career, 3.2 yards per carry last year. Frank Gore is now 36 years old. Uh, seemingly won't go away. And then you've got Devin Singletary, who's got to be the most intriguing guy here. He's a rookie. Picked just one pick after David Montgomery in the third round of the NFL draft. He right now is being picked in the 13th round of fantasy drafts compared to David Montgomery of the Bears, who's a fifth rounder. So if Singletary, he has been taking a few reps with the number one offense in the preseason here, so if he shows out well in preseason games, I think there's a there's a, a sneaky little sleeper here if he can somehow battle past all of these veterans, but we'll find out. And Christian, I think Singletary, the worry is um, not built to be a goal line guy, not built to be an every down guy. Yeah. He's probably a situational player, um, but man, he is he is slippery. He's elusive. He's fast. And, you know, I, I think I think that there's a spot for him. Also be fascinating. There's a chance that LaShawn McCoy gets cut yeah, and ends up there ends up being, you know, they just don't carry all those running backs. And he might be the odd man out of this, which is possible. And frankly, I think from a fantasy standpoint, the clarity, the clarity would would be welcome. All right. Let's uh, let's go to our next NFC training camp battle. Brian. All right, Charge, calling this a battle might trigger you a little bit because you have very strong feelings for one of these <laughs> guys. But uh, I'm still going to say there's a battle between Chris Carson and Rashad Penny in the Seahawks' backfield, but it's no. really not a battle. The battle is how many touches will Penny steal from Chris Carson, who by all accounts was a top-10 fantasy back last year, went healthy. Um, as for Penny, the only reason Seattle really will put him on the field is they invested first-round draft capital in him last year, really didn't get a shot to prove himself. Um, he did look good when healthy. That was uh, very sparingly last year for Penny. Uh, Carson should lead this team in touches to start the season, but Penny could close the gap. I know you probably feel differently about that. Do you care to weigh in on this charge? Because you are probably higher on yeah, Carson. Yeah, I do. Because than, I, I, yeah, I, lo- I, have, I have Chris Carson higher than almost everybody. Uh, just because the eye test, he, I thought Carson looked really good last year. And I've got him as my 16th running back overall. Um, and frankly, if it were just on, if there wasn't a first round pick in Rashad Penny, he'd be even higher. Um, the, and 
we do see situations where rookie running backs look a lot better in year two. Tampa Bay's, you know, telling us that story about Ronald Jones in Denver. They're telling us that story about uh, about uh, Freeman, Royce Freeman. And so, you know, maybe Penny is a much better back in year two because that does happen sometimes with running backs. But I know that my eyes tell me that Chris Carson's a good runner and he's got the confidence of that coaching staff. And I think he's going to get the majority of the work. Let's go to the AFC side. Uh, What's our next training camp battle, Christian? Yeah, I'm going to stick in Buffalo this time for the wide receivers where we've got John Brown, Zay Jones and Robert Foster all sort of scrabbling to see who uh, who ascends to the top of the pecking order there. Of course, Brown, we talked about a little bit, came over on a $27 million contract for three years. So I think he's he's going to be your guy. Shocking, shocking <laughs> money for a guy who's overpaid. produced so sparingly. Uh, that's right. Yes. And then uh, Zay Jones led the Bills in catches, yards, and touchdowns last year. Not that that was really saying much. I think the most intriguing guy here really is Foster, who came on late last Mm -hmm. year. He had three touchdowns and three games of at least 94 yards in the final six games of last season, but now has seemingly probably because of the acquisition of Brown. He's been running with the twos uh, in camp, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens here. And again, there may not be a ton of upside here, but Foster is the guy that seemed to show some rapport with Josh Allen towards the end of last year. So maybe he'll be able to to jump up in the preseason and get a starting job. I agree with all that. Let's go to the uh, NFC, Brian. Uh, Staying with the running backs in Washington, we have Darius Geis versus Adrian Peterson. Uh, This is really Geis versus his quads. Those things look (laughs) very overflated and look like they could explode at any second. Um, (laughs) He did tweak them in July, so he's he's already already, uh, cause for concern with those things. Um, But he's a year removed from ACL surgery, Geis that is. Washington would love to see him stay healthy and win this job, but Peterson... Uh, refuses to go away. Last year proved he had plenty of gas left in the tank. Uh, he finished top 15 among running backs in missed tackles and yards after contact. But really, this might not be a great job to win for either of these guys. You mentioned earlier, Charge, uh, Trent Williams, all-pro left tackle, might sit out the season, is willing to sit out the season. That yeah. would just drop this line down significantly. If I'm picking a running back from Washington and in, a, in a PPR league, it's actually Chris Thompson who is going to steal all the passing work from both of these guys and comes at you know last round discount and draft. So that's the winner of this battle in my mind is Chris Thompson between guys and Adrian Peterson. You just have to take a major <laughs> leap of faith. Go elsewhere altogether. Okay. I'm not taking a leap of faith uh, in go. either of these guys. Uh, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> Makes sense. Let's uh, let's go back to Christian. Who do you get? Uh, what's the next training camp battle in the AFC? Well, this one's a little interesting. I guess technically right now you would say this is the backup running back job. Uh, for the Chargers. However, depending on what happens with Melvin Gordon, yeah. the winner of this job could be extremely fantasy relevant. It's Austin Eckler against Justin Jackson. Uh, Eckler, I think, is is clearly the guy here. He should be, at least. He's averaged five, five and a, over 5.2 yards per carry in his two-year career. Last year, he had yeah, nine... How about that? Austin Eckler, yeah. five yards per carry. And last year, had 950 combined rushing and receiving yards and six touchdowns playing behind Melvin Gordon. So imagine what he could do if Melvin Gordon was out of the picture. But there is talk that Eckler isn't isn't well suited to be the every down back. So Justin Jackson will probably be involved in some way. But again, we'll see how this shakes out during training camp. Yeah, I I agree with that sentiment. I don't think Eckler is built to be a workhorse style back. And I think he's his best his best usage is in that, you know, 10 to 15 touches per game range where he can still be 
uber effective like he has been and he was uh, he, he was a guy that you could you could start as a flex starter last year and you're right if, if things go belly up on uh on the holdout with melvin gordon that's that whole situation gets very interesting let's go back to the nfc brian I was going to bring up the San Francisco running backs again, but we went into those uh, guys in pretty good detail yeah, earlier in the show. So let's talk about the Bucks backs, Peyton Barber versus Ronald Jones, who's in his second year. Barber uh, was the lead back last year, but he was probably one of the worst running backs in the league. If you look at the numbers, he averaged just 3.9 yards per touch last season. That was good enough for 51st among 60 qualified running backs. Jones was drafted 38th overall by Tampa Bay last year, but barely saw the field. Whether he was injured or not, there were some healthy scratches thrown in for Jones, so he just clearly wasn't ready to play last year. Uh, early reports mm-hmm. at the camp, he's looking more ready to play, uh, has put on some um, some weight, has bulked up a little bit, but again, just like Washington, this is a job I don't know if you want to win. Uh, Tampa Bay figures to be very pass-heavy this year with lots of negative game strip game scripts for its running backs. Uh, They're returning four or five starters on their offensive line, which was bottom five last year. So this is another, you know, it'll play itself out in camp. Uh, We'll probably see Barber as the lead back come week one, but Jones will probably close that delta as the season goes on as well. Uh, I am uh, going to die on the Peyton Barber Hill. This is a, a guy that I think yes, when I just when I watch the Bucks games, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, and, I'll, and I'll, believe me, I'll be alone on that hill. Um, just watching him play, I really think he ran hard behind an offensive line that gave him no help whatsoever, and I don't think he left many yards on the field. And I think this is why they didn't invest a single draft pick into the running back position in the off season. I think the coaching staff went back and they looked at the tape and they were happy with what Peyton Barber did in the situations they put him in. And I think with a much more dynamic offense now, Peyton Barber is one of my favorite guys to significantly outperform last year. I don't think until Ronald Jones shows me he can play, I don't think he's a factor. And I like Peyton Barber. Let's move on. Christian, what's our next AFC training camp battle? Uh, let's go to Miami at, at the running back position. We've got Kenyon Drake versus Kalen Balage. Balage is the fourth-round pick from last year. Really couldn't even get on the field for most of the year until late in the season and then wasn't mm-hmm. very good after he did. And then sort of inexplicably opened training camp this year running with the number ones ahead of Kenyon Drake, who a lot of people saw as a guy that might ascend, you know, into the RB1, RB2 potential uh, area for fantasy this year. But now it seems pretty clear that nobody who, none of, none of the various regimes that go in and out of Miami are, are letting themselves trust Kenyon Drake. He's never had more than 175 touches in his three NFL seasons. So it kind of makes sense that Balaj is going to be heavily involved here. Of course, Drake can still get it done. Even with only 175 touches, he was a top 15 fantasy running back in points per reception formats last year. So he's going to get it done through the air regardless, but it will be interesting to see how they deploy Balaj here in the preseason games. Yeah, I just don't think Balaj is a great runner. No, he maybe he'll prove us wrong. Again, a second year guy, maybe, you know, maybe he comes in and looks like a materially better runner than the version that we saw as a rookie. All right, back to the NFC, Brian. All right, I have one more, and uh, finally, I got some wide receivers to talk about here. We'll, we'll call this the Packers number two wide receiver battle uh, between Marquez Valdez yeah. Scantling and Geronimo Allison. It, even though it's not really a battle, uh, Valdez Scantling 
technically is the number two receiver. He'll be starting on the outside with Devontae Adams, but Geronimo mm-hmm. Allison will be on the field in equal amounts, essentially, from the slot. It's really who's going to outperform the other. Um, in eight games with Rodgers last year, Geronimo Allison averaged well over 10 PPR points per game. He was a very consistent producer. Uh, MVS wasn't as consistent, but he's a freak athlete. 6'4", sub 4'4", four, four speed, will certainly strike on yeah. him, but plenty of deep balls from Rodgers. Um, Allison will be the more consistent producer. Uh, Valdez Scantling's a guy I would rather have in best ball because of that big play potential. Um, they're really both going to be winners, though, as long as Rodgers stays healthy because Devontae Adams is going to warrant a lot of attention, and these guys are going to run free in single coverage all year. So both uh, I am targeting uh, heavily in all drafts, not just one or the other. I love and, both. Uh, and Jimmy Graham, not really a, a factor to take, uh, no. take balls away from those wide receivers either. Let's go to the uh, AFC. Christian. Yeah, my uh, my final battle to watch here is also a wide receiver. This is in New England. Really, it's rookie Nikhil Harry versus his own expectations or everybody else's expectations <laughs> of him. Uh, there is nobody else to battle outside. Uh, so Julian Edelman, we know, is the number one wide receiver. But at number two, there's Demarius yeah. Thomas, who will probably open on the pup list recovering from an Achilles injury. Philip Dorsett, mm-hmm. who is just a boring veteran. Maurice Harris, who is an even more boring, even more veteran than Philip Dorsett. So (laughs) really, this comes down to, Uh, you know, what are we going to see from Nikhil Harry, who everybody loves in terms of his production in college, his athletic profile? You know, this guy has all the traits to become a stud. But in New England, you never know what's going to happen. If he if he comes up with a case of the dropsies, if he can't pick up the offense right away, yeah. he could find himself in the doghouse. So this one I'm going to be watching really closely. Whoa, because whoa, whoa, whoa. I, you're saying you're suggesting that Bill Belichick has a doghouse? Holds, holds grudges and has a doghouse. Imagine holds that. grudges. Yeah. No, not him. <laughs> so now, his, that is that is certainly the danger. And by the way, I mean, there have been numerous drops in in training camp so far. Has, it's still yep. early and we got a month to go. But if you think Belichick's going to be cool with drop balls, oh, man, no chance. <laughs> Have you seen Belichick's do- dog yacht before? It's very impressive. Not only a house, he has a, a dog, dog yacht. He has a, a dog yacht. A full Fancy. yacht, a mansion, yeah. dog mansion. A dog copter. Uh, let's release the hounds in the uh, the NFC side again, Brian. Who else? Uh, what other training camp battles do we have? Oh, I'm, I'm tapped out on battles, Charge. I'm all battled out. Okay. All right. Good. You're battled out. And yep. Christian, do you have any left? No, we touched on the Dante Moncrief uh, in Pittsburgh as well. Uh, theoretically battling it out with uh, with James Washington and then third round rookie Deontay Johnson. But I think Moncrief probably has that one wrapped up. Thankfully, I didn't have to go into right. the Giants number one wide receiver battle between probably like Kelvin Benjamin and whoever some other bum they would have signed because <laughs> Sterling Shepard <laughs> supposedly will be ready for the season. So he is their number one wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Moments from now, we will break down the Dynasty Empire rookie drafts. What is the order we think you should take these guys in? We'll answer three tough questions you can play along as well and hit some of the gameplay variations that can make your leagues more fun. What's a guillotine league? What's an empire league? What's super flex? We'll answer those kinds of questions and more. It is Fantasy Football Weekly. Thanks for listening to Fantasy Football Weekly. This is a segment we like to call Three Tough Questions. We dive into some of the toughest questions from around the NFL. I ask my panel of experts this week, Christian Peterson, Brian Johnson, three tough questions. You play along, see if you can get all three correct. Sometimes Christian and Brian go 3-0. 
but more often than not, they don't. So we, we'll find out. We always get the answers right, but sometimes we don't go 3-0. and oh. Yeah, I like how you call this experts, but then you make us feel quite the opposite <laughs> to answer the question. Uh, all right, let's begin with... Tough question number one. With Antonio Brown departed to Oakland, Juju Smith-Schuster becomes the go-to receiver in Pittsburgh. Will Juju post more, less, or about the same fantasy numbers as Antonio Brown did last year? We'll begin with Christian. Well, last year, Juju basically was better than Antonio Brown in all but a couple of categories, in all but one category, really. He had seven more catches and 130 more yards. Touchdowns is where he trailed. Uh, Antonio Brown scored sort of a fluky high touchdown total of 15 and just seven for Juju. So, you know, we're looking at a guy who is basically already guaranteed, maybe not guaranteed, but he's got a very good chance of matching or, or exceeding Antonio Brown's totals in catches and yards. And so for me, it really just comes down to the touchdowns. And 15 is an incredible amount of touchdowns, <laughs> the most since Des Bryant had 16 in 2014. And Brown, again, he was he was heavily targeted in the red zone. He was second in the NFL with 29 targets and Juju had 24 and flukily just didn't get, just didn't get as many touchdowns. So I don't know. This is a long way of saying that I think Juju will perform just as well as he did last year, but because of the inability to match the 15 touchdowns, he'll fall just short of Antonio Brown's numbers last year. So you're saying less, less. Uh, more or less or about the same. You're saying less. less. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm going to okay. go uh, less too. Juju will finish finish with less points than Brown did last year. Uh, I'll just add. So Brown had roughly 30, 40 points uh, more than Juju last season in standard PPR leagues. Uh, a whopping 225 targets vacated by Brown's trade or um uh, yeah trade to uh, Oakland. But you know, so you would think Juju is going to absorb a ton of those targets and he can make up those 30, 40 points, but. There's just not much more production, much more room for more production from Juju, who's already very heavily involved in the offense, and now he's going to warrant more attention with Antonio Brown gone. So I see the the majority of these targets vacated by Brown going to Dante Moncrief, James Washington, Vance McDonald, maybe even Jalen Samuels getting used in the passing game more. So for that reason, um, Juju will finish just slightly under Brown's total from last year, but I see a better year for Juju personally. All right, but so Brown leaves behind 104 targets, and the Steelers just don't have a lot of the talent to soak up all those 104 targets. You mentioned Moncrief, and you mentioned, uh, I think, James Washington, and you mentioned Jalen Samuels. Those are all guys that I think are going to chip in some there. Um, and you guys hit, I think, on the most salient part of this. Juju was targeted 166 times last year, so I don't think he can possibly get targeted any more than that when the league leaders were only at four more targets in the entire NFL than what Juju had last year. So I can't don't think he can get above where Antonio Brown was, but he can roughly equal it because we've already seen him turn all of these targets into a lot of yards and a lot of receptions, and all he has to do is ratchet up that he actually had more yards and more receptions than Antonio Brown. All he has to do is ratchet up the touchdowns. He doesn't get all the way to 15 to get to the same level of fantasy points that Antonio Brown had. The correct answer, Juju Smith-Schuster will have about the same fantasy points as Antonio Brown did last year. Let's go. To Tough question, question number two. 
Two sophomore receivers, Carolina's DJ Moore and San Francisco's Dante Pettis, head into this season as the top receivers for their respective teams. Who is more likely to take a bigger <coughs> jump in year two? Is it DJ Moore or is it Dante Pettis? We begin with Brian Johnson. I love both of these guys going into their second year. Um, neither had a full season sample size last year. Um, more roughly half a year's worth of work and uh, Pettis is half of that half. Um, so I, I like more sample size more and uh, talking to more uh, among wide receivers with at least 50 targets. Uh, I'm sorry, 50 catches um, more led them all in yards after the catch on a per reception basis. And if you've been watching all or nothing, um, you know, the Amazon show, it's chronicling the Panthers. They highlight more a lot, and he is tough to bring down. He bounces off people. He breaks tackles left and right. Uh, he looks great. He's also just one of 17 wide receivers all time to post 600-plus receiving yards in a single season at 21 years old. He joins a list that includes names like Randy Moss, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Juju Smith-Schuster, DeAndre Hopkins, and Josh Gordon. He is an elite talent, and at the end of the day, he is likely to be the top receiving option for his team where Pettis will uh, you know, play second fiddle to George Kittle in the receiving game. So for that reason, I'm going DJ Moore has the bigger jump this season. All right, Christian, what do you got? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to agree with Brian uh, on this one. I think it's DJ Moore for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, we know what DJ Moore has got at quarterback. It's Cam Newton, who doesn't put up elite level uh, passing yards. He's thrown for uh, he's thrown for more than 3,500 yards and tossed more than 24 touchdowns just once in the last six years. But by comparison, Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco has thrown for 2,968 yards and just 17 touchdowns in his entire five-year career. So we just don't know yet. We think Garoppolo is going to be pretty good, and we've seen him be pretty good in small spurts, but we just don't know yet. And then secondly, this it worries me that the 49ers spent the early portion of their draft loading up on rookie wide receivers. They drafted a, sec- a guy in the second round, Debo Samuel. They drafted another wide receiver in the third round, Jalen Hurd. It feels like that feels like not the actions of a team that believes they've found their number one wide receiver in Dante Pettis. So there's just enough nagging doubt in my mind here on Pettis, though I like what he did in the second half of last year, that I'm going to go with more uh, on this question. The correct answer is Dante Pettis. <laughs> uh, he had a terrific six-game stretch at the end of last year where he averaged 61 yards and almost a touchdown per game. During that six-game stretch at the end of last year, he was Tyler Lockett in productivity. And that Tyler Lockett was wide receiver 15 last season. And he did that. Pettis did that with Nick Mullins throwing him the ball. Nick Mullins, undrafted quarterback, third-string quarterback, Moore, meanwhile, started 10 games. Funny you guys didn't mention his touchdown total. Remember his touchdown total from last year? <laughs> one, two. He had he had one as a starter and a fluke, a fluke one at the beginning of the year when he wasn't a starter. He was getting almost <laughs> no time. In the 10 games he started, he scored one time. Now, if you can divide one by 10, that tells you he was he scored. He was good for 0.1 touchdowns per game. 0.1. That's it. I want a guy who can find the end zone. That is Dante Pettis. And if it comes down to Cam Newton and Jimmy Garoppolo, if this is a rushing competition at quarterback, it's no question I would take Cam Newton. As a passer, give me Garoppolo, who's got a higher completion percentage for his career, more passing yards per game over his career, and more passing touchdowns per game over his career. 
Dante Pettis, the correct answer. Let's move to our next question. Tough question number three. Last year, there were only about five bona fide start-worthy tight ends in all of fantasy football. How many this year are you projecting to have? How many starter-worthy, bona fide starter-worthy tight ends do you project this season? We begin with Christian Peterson. It doesn't look a whole lot better for me uh, for this year. I've got tra- uh, the obvious top three are Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, and George Kittle in, in some order. Kelsey's certainly number one, the other two in some order. Uh, and then I've got next on my list Evan Ingram and OJ Howard at four and five. Both of those guys, had they managed to stay healthy last year, would have been in the mix as, as every week uh, fantasy starters. I think they had both established themselves as that before their injuries. And now we know Ingram is is uh, you know one of the best pass catchers in New York. Uh, O.J. Howard showed last year again, I think, before the injury that he is going to be relevant every week. And then you get down to a bunch of question marks. Eric Ebron last year had a ton of touchdowns, and he was one of those weekly starters you referred to, Charge. But now Jack Doyle is back in the fold, and Doyle's a good player, so who knows what's going to happen with Ebron. And now there's just all sorts of question marks. Next up... In no particular order, you've got Hunter Henry, you've got Trey Burton, Vance McDonald, who we referred to earlier in the show, Jared Cook, who we talked about earlier in the show, David Njoku. There's seven or eight or nine or ten names now, to me, that come into the mix at tight end number six and beyond. And because I can't identify even necessarily with much confidence who number six is for me, I don't think there are, I don't think any of those guys are relevant, so... I'm going to go with five. All right. So five. You're five. Okay. Yep. All right. Brian. I'll, I'll go six outside of the big three. Ertz, Kelsey, Kittle, Ingram, Henry, OJ Howard. Those are the six I trust. Vance, Jared Cook, they're right there. Um, I'll include those guys at eight, but I'm drawing the line right before Eric Ebron, who certainly would regress on his 14 touchdowns last year, 14, 15 touchdowns uh, with Jack Doyle back in the mix. And basically the point I'm trying to make here is if you miss out on Cook, don't don't go for the, the Hoopers, the Njokus, the Rudolphs, the Jimmy Grahams, the Jordan Reeds. I would just wait on tight end till the very end of the That's draft. A, that is not the question. Well, we stop pontificating. That's not the question. <laughs> Why not? I'm trying How to help the many start-worthy like, tight ends are there? I think eight was well, his answer. Okay, well, I think this is a trick question. It's, it's how many teams are in your league, because as bad as tight ends are, none of them are you scoring negative one. points. I'd rather <laughs> take a shot at scoring so, eight points. So 12, <laughs> 12. or 10? Or, <laughs> Wait, what is, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go six. I'm going to throw Henry in the mix <laughs> on top of CP's oh, list right. in, in hopes that he stays right, healthy. Fine. Yeah, the correct answer is 10. You guys are misreading the tea leaves on this entirely. Uh, this is There are 10 guys I'm ready to go to war with. Let's, uh, let's go here. My number four tight end is Hunter Henry, who had the phenomenally impressive rookie season. First, He was a first-round draft pick, missed last year, already rolling to rave reviews this year. He will perform as a bona fide starter. Vance McDonald, who we've referenced a couple of times. If you combined Jesse James's numbers from last year, and Jesse James is in Detroit, with Vance McDonald's last year, you end up at tight end four. This is, he put it, that's an 80 catch, 1,000 yard, six touchdown season. That's absolutely starter worthy. And Vance McDonald has no competition on that, that depth chart. So Vance McDonald, clearly a top 10 guy. Jared Cook was last year's tight end four, and he goes from Derek Carr 
to Drew Brees throwing him the ball. He's certainly in the mix. You already mentioned Evan Ingram. You mentioned O.J. Howard. We mentioned Eric Ebron's last year's tight end three or maybe tight end four, depending on your scoring system. He's in this mix. And then there's Mark Andrews, who you guys didn't mention, and I think is sitting on a massive second season. Put up 552 yards last year. That's one of the five highest marks for any rookie tight end in the last 20 years. Mark Andrews at 552 yards. And with all the questions they've got with the receivers there, I think Mark Andrews is going to be a safe play as well. This, it is not panic time on tight ends. Last year at this time, this show was telling you panic at tight end. Draft them early. Go get one of the good guys. I'm telling you, 10 deep this season. I think you guys want to combine 0-3 on everything. Congratulations. Hopefully the listeners did a better job than you guys did. I got, in fact, by default, I think they had to have. There's almost no way around it. Well, question question um, two was a clear yeah. setup from the world's foremost Jimmy Garoppolo apologist. Yeah. We, should, we should have seen through <laughs> that, that one. That is a good point. That is a, that is a good point. I have several uh, tasteful nudes of Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> uh, in poster form in my room. All right, so we, uh, so, we, we know, Matt Schaub did. What, what can we say? It's, yeah. it's the preseason. It's the Hall of Fame game week. <laughs> Matt, Matt Schaub is still in the NFL. That's the unbelievable thing. <laughs> Uh, that guy's drawn a paycheck. He, Matt Schaub's going to finish his career as one of the like 15 highest paid quarterbacks of all time, which is unfathomable because he keeps milking his career. You would think at some point he would just be like, you know what? I'm done. I don't even, I'm, not even, I'm just bored holding the clipboard. You think he'd be done, but it hasn't worked that way to this point. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the gameplay variations that you will want to run in your league. What's a guillotine league? What's a best ball? What's an empire league? What's super flex? We will go through all of that moments from now. Thanks for listening to Fantasy Football Weekly. I am Paul Charchi and my co-hosts, Christian Peterson and Brian Johnson. You know, many of us have been playing fantasy football for a long time. We've most have been playing the same way with the same rules. And some people are still playing in touchdown-only leagues. I love God. I, just, I don't even understand that. However, there are so many new and cool ways to play fantasy football. You take all these millions of passionate players and they've dreamed up fascinating new ways to play. I think the most exciting new way to play is the guillotine league guys. Um, let me, let me give you the opportunity to talk about it. Christian, tell people what a guillotine league is. So a guillotine league is a league in which every week of the season, the lowest scoring team for that week gets chopped unceremoniously dumped from the league. And they're all of the players from that roster get released into the free agent pool. So they're they're available for all of the other teams in the league uh to bid on in the in the free agency uh in the free agency process. Which starts at 17 teams. Yeah, the waiver wire. Yeah, so you, teams yeah, you, the, the idea is you start with 17 teams and each week of the season uh somebody somebody is chopped. So you end up at the end of the year with with a champion. And it's not has, head to head, it's total points. So you're just playing against everyone essentially. So yeah, not head to that's right. So, so you're week. Yeah. And so so you're playing every single week. You're not necessarily playing to win. You're just playing not to lose. Like if you're. Yeah. Don't like, be last. Like if you're running from a bear, you don't have to be the fastest person. You just can't be the slowest. Person. <laughs> oh, great analogy. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, at 17 teams, low scoring team gets chopped each week. You get down to week 16. There's two teams left and the winner takes all. I like winner takes all whatever, whatever your pot is. And by the way, these pots get big with 17 teams. 
you know, you know, I don't. I think if I do the math correctly, if you each paid a hundred dollars, that'd be one thousand seven hundred dollars, and you could give it all to the winner if you want to go with the extreme head chopping scenario, and there's only one survivor. You could have a seventeen hundred dollar payday that way. Yeah. So you're um, you're like, what do you think? Are just going to say you're down to picking your two running backs in week 16, 17. He's like, hmm, I got to pick two between Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin <laughs> yeah. Kamara. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We all played guillotine leagues last year and the waiver wires are crazy because every week a whole team's draft to just hit the waiver wire. And by midseason, that team is always beyond beyond where they were when they drafted. They've made a bunch of key pickups and then they got cut. So all of these amazing players end up hitting the waiver wire. So in the span of one week, you might have Saquon Barkley hit the waiver wire along with Antonio Brown and Patrick Mahomes and Jared Cook and, you know, just a, a whole roster of great players. And then everybody bids on them. And it's fascinating how the guillotine league works. Um, what are what do you guys feel are a couple of winning strategies for guillotine league players? Well, that's just the thing. This is only the second season of existence, so it's very much uh, evergreen when it comes to strategy. Uh, people need to invent what strategies work for uh, key team leagues. This year, mm-hmm. personally, I'm going to treat um, the draft or startup auction, however you, you construct your guillotine teams uh, in your league, uh, I'm going to take a very hard look at the first one or two weeks of the season and dock players for bad matchups uh, in those weeks uh, who you would normally draft uh, higher in standard seasonal leagues. Because, yes, the odds are you're one of 17 teams. Uh, you'll be one of, you have a 1 in 17 chance to be the first team knocked out. But those chances go up incredulously when your, your first round pick uh, wets the bed in week one because uh, there are so many teams. Uh, and if you, your, your studs don't perform, uh, you are very likely to be one cut. So I'm going to take a very hard look at the early season schedule and adjust my rankings accordingly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I, th- I think you want to be be wary of extremely difficult matchups in the early going. I think one of the other things you should do is try to target more reliable players. You know, a, a boomer bust yeah, player like, like, a, like a Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill. You know, over the course of the season, in a, in a season-long league, you can afford... You know, to to ride out those waves where he has huge games, and then he and then he might do not much of anything in other games. But in a guillotine format, in that down week, you know, you might be done. Uh, and so, you know, Tyreek Hill yeah. or sort of deep threat wide receivers are an example of that, and maybe maybe even sort of uh, like pass catching running backs, running backs that uh, yeah. depend more on that. Which it's just it's just more difficult to sort of predict how game flow is going to go uh, for pass receiving running backs. Uh, so again, yeah, just just sort of trying to target more more reliable players because again, it doesn't matter if you're the highest scoring team in the league; you just can't be the lowest scoring. The only quibble I have with the, the advice you're giving is I don't know that I'm going to contort my draft around the guys with the tough early schedules because just odds are with 17 teams, you're not going to be the one who gets cut. You got a 96 percent chance of surviving week one, no matter what, right? Unless you're really really <laughs> bad in your draft. And week two with 16 teams, you got a 95% chance of making the cut. So more likely than not, you're going to make the cut anyway. And I'm really not sweating it in my guillotine leagues unless, you know, there are guys like AJ Green, who I don't think is going to play for a couple of weeks in the beginning of the season. That's a guy. That's a guy that does change things. Kareem Hunt. Hard to even draft Kareem Hunt Mm -hmm. in this format. Well, where do you draft Um, Zeke right now? And so. 
Zeke yeah, and well, Melvin you know, Gordon. Yeah. You gotta Zeke. Those guys are more dangerous oh, because yeah. they might not come in. They might they might miss a few weeks into the season. Those guys are more dangerous too in the guillotine format. If you want more information on guillotine leagues, or maybe even want to join one, you don't know sixteen other people, uh, or even if you do, uh, go to guillotineleagues.com. Guys, talk about the best ball format and how that works. Brian, um, I know you spent a lot of time talking best ball. Tell people how best ball drafts work. Uh, they're uh, longer, bigger drafts than you're used to because you need to draft a lot of depth. So um, like standard fantasy, every week you'll have a, a roster, that a starting roster that comprises of a quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, a flex spot, and a defense. But unlike standard fantasy, you don't pick who you're starting every week, the results pick who starts. So once all the games conclude each week, your highest scoring player or players that can slot into the applicable spots uh, comprise your starting lineup. So your best ball team, mm -hmm. your best balls are put forward. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really fun, fun way to play. Uh, you know, people start drafting best ball teams literally the day after the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. even before the actual NFL draft. Uh, there's some risk there, yeah. but there's a lot of reward as well. It's a lot of fun. And we talked about guys that are better for best ball, like the, the Deshaun Jacksons of the world, where it's hard to peg when you should start them when you're the one that has to insert them in the lineup yourself. But when they're automatically put in, when they have those spike games, uh, it's a much more rewarding experience owning players like that and far less frustrating. So best ball, a lot of fun. I love playing it very, much, very, very much. Yeah. Almost the op almost the opposite of the guillotine leagues where you want reliable players in best ball. You can have these home run hitters like yeah. the Deshaun Jacksons and the uh, Eric Ebrons who scores touchdowns and is great and then doesn't score a touchdown. He's terrible. Those those guys end up working out those high risk, high reward game in, game out guys are better best ball uh, options and more viable for sure. And, and you don't real. have to guess when they're when they're going to go off. Sorry, and I didn't mention that. And there's no in-season management. You're, you're not adding, dropping players. Yeah. You're not trading. You're, you draft and you're done. So uh, it's a fun way to draft you know, and done. Stay, stay on top of the ADPs of players as the, the summer progresses. A good way to just stay on top of things is uh, participating in best yeah. ball. Yeah, and that is, that's the beauty of best ball. If you love the draft, it, there's a real thing on best balls. If you love to draft but you don't want to manage a dozen teams, you can draft a dozen best ball teams. You don't have to manage any of them. And that's the beauty of it for draft junkies. Like me, I love the draft. I can't manage 12 teams. I could have 12 best ball teams. Let's go to Empire Leagues. Christian, tell people what the Empire League is. Yeah, so an Empire League is a uh, sort of a, a spinoff or a derivation of a, of a dynasty league. And if people don't know what a dynasty league is, that is a league in which in year one you have a regular draft or auction like you would in any other fantasy league. But at the end of that season, going into the next year, you keep all of the players that are on your roster. And then the subsequent year, you're drafting really just for rookies, you know, NFL, new NFL rookies that are coming into the league. So it's a format that allows you to draft players in year one and really hold them for the rest of their careers if you really want to. Yeah. Uh, and it creates a whole different dynamic because there's a lot of off-season activity. The only way to really improve your teams is by is by making trades. Um, so it's it's sort of a, a way of of actively playing fantasy football year round, which uh, which is appealing to a lot of people. So that's what a dynasty format is. And the Empire spinoff of that is really just has to do with um, 
essentially the the prize pool so it's it's a way of increasing the prize pools year after year so what happens is everybody might pay a hundred dollar entry fee every single year in a typical dynasty league all of that money goes back out after that year in an empire league half of it stays in a pot a rolling pot that rolls over from year to year until one of the teams wins the league back to back and that team then at that point takes down the entire empire pot so it's kind of a way of of almost increasing the stakes in your fantasy football league by creating this long rolling pot that that potentially turns into a a bigger payout down the road and then also it's a way of keeping the league fresh because after that after the person wins back to back the league the league folds the league is over and you, you can certainly start yeah. up a new one the I next year but yeah it's it's a way it, yeah. it, put, it puts an endpoint on a dynasty league, because one of the things that can tend to happen in a dynasty league is they get a little stale potentially or they after, abruptly while, after end. 10 years. Or, or they just end because right. people lose interest and people don't lose interest when there's an empire pot in play. Right. If you're, yeah, <laughs> no, if, yeah, if you're, yeah, when you're rolling years, out, when you're rolling forward $5,000 empire pot, yep. nobody's leaving. That's for sure. That's right. Yes. And I love the fact that there's a defined end to an empire league. When somebody wins back to back years, they cash out that year's money. They cash out the Empire Pot, and they are the champion. Not just last year's champion or the current champion. They are the champion of the Empire League, and it disbands. And I love that about the Empire League format. All right, last uh, gameplay variation I want to throw to you guys. Superflex. I think this is all but mandatory in any reasonably sized league. Brian, tell people what Superflex is. Uh, everyone's familiar, familiar with the flex spot, which is usually comprised of a running back wide receiver, or a tight end, uh, super flex. Uh, you can still play all those same positions, but the, the kicker is you can play a quarterback. And like you said, uh, it is basically mandatory at this point because in this day and age, it's a passing league. There are at least 15, 16, 17 guys that have top 10 quarterback potential this year. And when you're only, when you only have to start one, they lose all value. They almost become worthless. They do. Unless they're yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Like Cam Newton is virtually worthless in a one quarterback league. So super flex, it just makes quarterbacks way more value. It just opens the floodgates for trading uh, way, way more, which is a way better thing, way better experience for everyone in the league. And uh, again, and then there's also two quarterback mandatory, but super flex is uh, the nice step up from one quarterback. And, uh, we can't mm-hmm. recommend it enough. Uh, I I will not play in a one yeah. quarterback league only, unless it's best ball. That's the only place you really find a one quarterback league or something super high stakes. But any home league should be super flex at this point. Way more fun. Yep, really should because the quarterbacks are worthless uh, and they're in they're almost indistinguishable from one another unless you can get to that super flex level where people can start too. And now you're going now now those second tier quarterbacks and third tier quarterbacks have got so much more value. We love super flex for sure. How does um how does it change drafting quarterbacks in your mind? If uh, if Patrick Mahomes has got a no, let's not use Mahomes. Let's use a let's use a mortal quarterback as uh, as 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 our option here. Let's say um, Drew Brees is going in the ninth round. What does how does it change in a in a one quarterback league if he's going in the ninth round? When would you take Drew Brees in a super flex league? 
Yeah, I mean, it depends a little bit on your on your scoring system. Um, and, and I will mm-hmm. note that you should, in a super flex league, unless you really just want it to be a full two-quarterback league, you need to be careful with your scoring system to make it so that every week it's, it, is a, it is a difficult decision on whether you should just start two quarterbacks automatically or whether you might be able yeah. to play a wide receiver at that spot. But generally speaking, the quarterbacks, I think, they just consistently score more points. You know, they may, if you've done mm-hmm. your scoring system right, they may not necessarily have any more upside than a wide receiver, but their floor is, is a little bit higher. Yeah. And so I think that brings that brings quarterbacks up for sure. If, if you're normally drafting Drew Brees, if he's, if he's a ninth round ADP in a regular one quarterback league, I think absolutely you got you to gotta jump on him earlier. It might, you might have to pick yeah. him three or four rounds Couple earlier. Rounds. Yeah, and you'll still yeah. notice, yep. you know, That's a couple great. quarterbacks go in a superflex league. Then all of a sudden, a quarterback run occurs, and it's fun to start those runs, sit them out. I don't know. It just adds yeah. a ton of complexity, good complexity to any fantasy league. Yeah, and you'll see. I mean, I don't think I don't think Patrick Mahomes was necessarily a bad example, Church, because I think in a superflex league, you might see Patrick Mahomes go in the top five picks. You know, again, depending on the yeah. on the scoring system, but yeah. Uh, For those listeners that are in our local market in the greater Minnesota, Minneapolis uh, area, a reminder, the Fantasy Football Training Camp is coming August 17th to Canterbury Park. It is totally free. Uh, You'll want to arrive local time, 10 o'clock for Fantasy Football Weekly. You get to hear the on-air portion of the show from 10 to noon, and then we do the off-air deep dive, data-driven stats, slides, presentations, PowerPoints, all that stuff for 90 minutes after that. It's totally free. It's at Canterbury Park. It is the Fantasy Football Training Camp. Moments from now, we will talk about Dynasty and Empire Leaguers. What does that rookie draft look like? We'll tell you our top 20 uh, Dynasty Empire rookies, who we're drafting in what order and why when we come back. We close out every one of our preseason podcasts on Fantasy Football Weekly by releasing one sleeper from each of the hosts. You're going to get three sleepers for your draft or your auction at the end of this uh, at the end of this show first our dynasty and empire rookie drafts if you're in a dynasty league or an empire league it's primarily populated by rookies here's the order we recommend that you take them in there's some debate not generally a ton of debate but some debate on some of these guys and we'll talk through sort of the highs and lows for each one of these guys I think the first guy that we're going to take is David Montgomery, the rookie from Chicago. Josh Jacobs was drafted first, but Montgomery comes here because quality of offense to me is a big differentiator. Christian, what are your thoughts on David Montgomery? Number one overall. Yeah. I mean, I I agree with you. I think you could, you could probably quibble between the top two of Montgomery and Jacobs. Those seem like kind of the consensus top two backs uh, this year. And and I don't disagree that Montgomery has landed in a better spot with a better offense. He has a little bit more Mm -hmm. competition uh, in the backfield with Tariq Cohen uh, there as well. And I think Jacobs maybe is set up to be more of a three down guy earlier on than what Montgomery will be. Uh, but again, I, I can't I can't quibble too much with your supposition that Montgomery is just in a more explosive offense. Mitchell Trubisky looks like he's about to take another step forward uh, this year. They have very good wide receivers. They have Tariq Cohen to open things up. They've got an elite level defense that should put the game script in the in their favor in most games. They might be running mm-hmm. out the clock in the in the second half, and that's when David Montgomery comes in. So uh, I don't mind Montgomery at, at number one overall. 
Yeah, he'll get the touchdowns, and that still counts for a lot in yep. fantasy football. Let's go to number two, Josh Jacobs, as uh, we just mentioned. He falls in he falls in with Oakland. That was obviously a pretty dysfunctional offense last year. What are your feelings on Josh Jacobs at number two, Brian? Well, that's just it. That's the rub, right? It's Oakland. But uh, no, if, mm-hmm. if if this was a redraft league and that you're just playing for this one season, I would take Jacobs uh, over Montgomery because Jacobs will probably see more touches walking into the starters role. But this, as you said, this is dynasty empire. I like Dave Mon- Montgomery's long term outlooks and. You know, I can't really back up a gut feeling, but something about Josh Jacobs just screams Trent Richardson 2.0 to me as well. So uh, if I had the first pick, I would lean Montgomery long term. Uh, Jacobs probably the better back this year in terms of opportunity. But uh, again, with Oakland, you never know what's going to happen with those Raiders. They seem to overdraft offensive players. Jacobs might be the next one. Uh, We'll see. All right, and because we are looking long-term, our number three guy is Daryl Henderson for the Rams because can anybody who's listening tell me that Todd Gurley's going to be on the team or in the NFL two or three years from now? No. Or we have no idea. Upright, Chronically even. arthritic knee. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, they might amputate. He might have a peg leg by this time in two years. Who knows? Daryl Henderson at some point becomes the go-to back for the Rams. And that's why in my mind for dynasty and empire, he goes all the way up to number three, Christian. Yeah. I mean, you're right. This, this is sort of the, the extraordinarily high upside play to take Henderson at, at third here. And it is because of Gurley. I mean, Gurley might not even make it through this season for all we know. They also re-signed uh, right. Malcolm Brown for a decent chunk of money, and then they drafted Henderson early in the draft. So clearly the Rams aren't comfortable with Todd Gurley and Henderson. Everybody loves, right? He's got, he's got a, an explosive, you know, sort of athletic profile. I've, I've seen comparisons to Alvin Kamara in the way that he plays. So if he is, is, is indeed getting a lot of touches uh, early on this year, he'll be valuable as soon as this year, but even, if not, you know, Gurley may not last more than another year or two. And long term, there's no better offense uh, to be in in terms of being a bell cow uh, in that Rams offense. So I, I agree here. It's it's kind of a swing for the fences kind of pick. And it's it's probably more of a year two or three and beyond kind of upside play than it is this year. Uh, but I like it. I like the the high risk, high reward here. All right, guys, we're going to have to zip through some of the uh, the remaining players on our list. Kyler Murray comes in at number four, high upside quarterback with a big arm and crazy mobility. And we don't know a lot about the coaching staff in Arizona, but there's a lot of reason for optimism. Brian. Yeah, if this was a super flex league, you're taking Kyler Murray first overall, even if you don't need a quarterback. But uh, this is a one quarterback Agreed. scenario, so uh, I can I can we can justify this ranking. But you, you just said it all there. It sounds like this, the the upside uh, is limitless, despite the fact that he doesn't stand very tall. So it, there's a lot of upside that mm-hmm. <laughs> regard. But uh, people say yeah. don't worry about the height yeah. of Murray. Uh, don't worry about it. That's what I they say. So. Let's not worry about it, but this is, again, like, I cannot wait to watch this kid play to see if he can live up to the hype. And I noticed this just yesterday. I've already marked my calendar. Week two, Arizona at Baltimore. Murray versus Lamar Jackson. I got marked on my calendar. I can't Mm. wait. Yeah, 200 rushing yards among the quarterbacks. (laughs) Uh, Miles Sanders clocks in at number five in Philadelphia under the supposition that a crowded backfield gets at least somewhat left crowded with time, but maybe that isn't even accurate. What do you think, Christian? 
Yeah, I don't mind Sanders here, and in, in, in fact, I like him quite a bit, even in redraft leagues this year. I think it's 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 a matter of uh, of when and not if he takes over uh, the lion's share of that backfield mm-hmm. from from Jordan Howard. So I really like Sanders' upside. The problem the problem, of course, is this idea that the Eagles will forever be in some sort of committee approach to their backfield. So that's yeah. the risk with Sanders. But I would also argue that in their committees of the recent past, they haven't had a player of Sanders. Uh, ability either. So once he gets in there and starts doing his thing, uh, I think even even that committee approach might uh, might be a thing of the past. The first wide receiver off the board is at number six. It's Paris Campbell for the Indianapolis Colts. First in no small part because Andrew Luck's going to be really good for three and four and five and six years from now. And so Paris Campbell should should be in a situation where he's got great quarterbacking throughout much of his career. Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, that's the reason he comes in higher than Harry. Uh, you're just not no one knows how long Tom Brady's going to play. Andrew Luck should be the, the, the Colts quarterback for the very foreseeable future. And, uh, you know, T.Y. Hilton is an elite talent, but uh, Devin Funchess, mm-hmm. the other receiver competing for targets, is uh, the complete opposite of that. Uh, basically not talented at all. So, yeah, Campbell, the hype seems to be growing every day. He did uh, tweak his hamstring the other day, but that's no cause for long-term concern. So Campbell looks like he's going to have a long fruitful career and uh i can't i can get on board with taking him over and kill harry all right guys we're gonna have to zip through these final guys uh tj hawkinson uh is the tight end for detroit uh, typically tight ends don't do very much in their uh in their rookie years but ultimately long term and that's our goal here he's in a nice position uh, with Detroit, Christian. Yeah, this is another one where you're going to have to just kind of swallow hard and know that you're not going to get much out of Hawkinson in year one. But if you're talking about Gronk 2.0 here, you know that's the kind of upside that we've that that we've heard about at least from Hawkinson. So uh, seven overall is a little aggressive, and you're going to have to wait for it. But uh, but the upside could pay yep. off. All right, let's go to the uh, previously mentioned Nikhil Harry, who while Tom Brady is there, is probably the best receiver out of this class. After Brady leaves, who knows? He comes in at number eight, Brian. Yeah, he'll likely be the top rookie uh, wide receiver producer this season. But let's just throw this out there. There is still a glimmer of hope for Josh Gordon to come back this season. And if Gordon comes back, that'll really kill Harry's value. Um, this season and next season, you know, in, in Tom, Brady, Tom Brady's supposed last two years, and then the outlook gets grim post-Brady. So I'm getting a little worried about Harry, but uh, I think he clocks in right right around eight. All right. Devin Singletary is the running back for Buffalo that comes in at number nine. Christian. Yeah, we talked about him a little bit earlier uh, in the show. And, you know, he, he was picked one pick again in the NFL draft behind David Montgomery, who's up at the top of this list. So there certainly is some talent there. There's nothing but uh, a bunch of old downtrodden yeah. veterans in, in Buffalo. So right. he, he could make an impact as, as soon as this year. Yep, and next year, no way Frank Gore's playing next year. No way. He can't. I know we've been saying that for a decade, but no (laughs) way is Frank Gore in the mix next year. Uh, Another tight end comes here at number 11, Noah Fant uh, for Denver. Comes in at number 11. Again, don't expect a lot this year. They got quarterbacking issues as long as Joe Flacco is there. After that, I think he's got a role. Coming in at number 12, Damian Harris. uh, Brian joins a very, what is currently a very crowded backfield with the Patriots, but there's some thought here that maybe he distinguishes himself in some fashion. Well, if he does that, he's going to have to outshine a guy who, you know, we were talking about like this last year, and that was Sony Michelle, who they, they invested first round draft mm-hmm. capital. in. so I don't know, New England backfield has been very muddled for many, many years. This is the, the long, 
the long play, though. Uh, Rex Burkhead is not going to last forever. James White is clearly a pass-catching uh, specialist. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I can't tell you if Harris is going to outshine Michelle. Michelle Denis could yeah, go we'll out see. at any time. Who knows? We yeah. shall see. But yeah. uh, usually the long-term prospects with these running backs for New England don't work out like the Lawrence Maroney's of the world. But uh, we'll find out. Yeah. All right, three rookie running backs come into 13, 14, 15. Benny Snell, Ryquel, Armstead, and then Justice Hill for Baltimore. Christian, you touched on him a little bit earlier. You want to loop back on Justice Hill and what he could do in Baltimore. Yeah, I I honestly like Hill better, uh, the best out of this uh, out of this trio. Uh, he's just an explosive guy. He can he can play the pass catching role. Um, so I think he carves out a role um, pretty quickly in Baltimore. We talked about Mark Ingram potentially being able to catch passes. We've seen that he can do that, but at the same time, Ingram mm-hmm. seems to function better when he's the when he's the guy moving the chains on first and second down, and he has a guy like Alvin Kamara to come in and and catch the passes and be the explosive guy. And I'm I'm not saying Justice Hill is Alvin Kamara, but they could uh, they have a chance to sort of reprise that kind of thing uh, here in Baltimore. Andy Isabella comes in at 16, 17, Miles Boykin, and 18 is A.J. Brown for Tennessee. And because of injury, we haven't been able to see anything from him yet. Brian, your thoughts on A.J. Brown's potential impact for Tennessee? Yeah, he was hurt on like one of the first, term, first, first plays of uh, training camp. So we're, we're waiting to see what he can actually mm-hmm. do. Uh, it, it's really not a matter of A.J. Brown's talent. It's a matter of his quarterback's talent. We're not so sure that Mar- Marcus Mariota is going to be on Tennessee's roster next year. Uh, he and Winston are in the last years of yeah. their contract, rookie contract. So <laughs> if they let Mariota walk, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of quarterbacks coming in this upcoming draft class. But um, I, I think uh, on paper and on tape, A.J. Brown looks like he has all the makings to be a, uh, at least a wide receiver, too, uh, in the future uh, from a fantasy football perspective. But um, we got to see how these, this quarterback situation shapes out in Tennessee over the next year or two until we can really get a true Number uh, 19 is Irv Smith, the tight end for Minnesota, is expected to be uh, learning on the job this year, but could pay off at some point with Kyle Rudolph uh, coming near the end of his career. And number 20, Debo Samuel, the uh, slot, the, the new Percy Harvin in the NFL, perhaps for the, the Niners, hope so anyway, um, and will probably play out of the slot for the Niners this coming season. Guys would like to wrap the show with sleepers, and I want to uh, I want to uh, start off with my preferred sleeper for this show, and that is Jalen Samuel, who I think has a chance to be the highest scoring Steelers running back this year. Yes, what? that's a bold statement when James Conner is there, but Jalen <laughs> Samuel's got a number of things going for him. Number one. All of the running backs for the Steelers have already said it's going to be a timeshare this year. There's not going to be one guy who's going to get the ball all the time. Samuel's the most gifted pass catcher that they've got. They've got all of the missing targets from Antonio Brown leaving and Jesse James leaving. That's going to open up some opportunities for Samuel to catch more passes. And as a tight end in college, his position coach was the Steelers' current running back coach. And so there's a coaching opportunity that, you know, they obviously know how to use him. They've got a history there. So I think Jalen Samuel has has a real opportunity to uh, actually, and, and by the way, I'll mention this, outperform statistically James Conner in, uh, in uh, yards per carry and uh, touchdowns per carry last year. And so I, there are things about James uh, Jalen Samuel that make me think he could be very, very good. Let's go to uh, Brian Johnson. Who's your sleeper for this week? 
Uh, of no relation, I've got Curtis Samuel, uh, Carolina's wide receiver, currently their number two wide receiver, but he could prove to be their number one come the end of the year. Um, last year was Samuel's second pro season, uh, didn't become a regular starter until week eight, and then he missed the last three games due to injury, but he looked really good when given the opportunity, um, including running the ball. He had two rushing touchdowns last year, um, but he's no gimmick player. Yeah. Uh, Samuel's has all the makings of a mm-hmm. potential number one, and to see that look no further than his red zone usage last year which was limited due to a sample size. Keep that in mind. But Samuel had more touchdowns in the red zone than George Kittle, Jarvis Landry, Corey Davis, Allen Robinson, and Jimmy Graham. Three of Samuel's four red zone receptions went for touchdowns. Uh, so he was very uh, proficient and effective. And while four red zone receptions doesn't seem like a lot, only 15 wide receivers had 10-plus red zone receptions last year, and a full campaign from Samuel would easily vault him into that territory. So um, I love DJ Moore. We talked about him earlier, but Samuel could be the same player, if not better than Moore, and you're getting him several rounds later, later in drafts right now. All right, Christian, you've got 30 seconds for your final sleeper. Uh, I can do that because I've already talked about him several times. It's Dante Moncrief of the Steelers. It's really all just about opportunity here. Antonio Brown leaves behind 168 targets. Moncrief is running as the number two opposite Juju Smith-Schuster. They clearly don't trust James Washington, last year's second rounder. Uh, So I don't love Moncrief because he's failed to live up to expectations, but it's all about opportunity, and the opportunity will certainly be there. No matter how you heard the show, our podcast of Fantasy Football Weekly is on the iHeart app, which is number one for podcasts and where you can always get it first, typically on Friday evenings. We encourage you to listen to Fantasy Football Weekly on the iHeart app or wherever else you love podcasts, but we love the iHeart app as well. And that is it for this week. We'll talk to you next week for more preseason Fantasy Football Weekly. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.